0: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. There's no ingredient more integral to the success of nicotine vaping products than flavors. There are thousands of flavors and flavor combinations on the market, and when using a nicotine vape to quit smoking or to stay quit, flavors provide endless opportunities to tailor the experience to personal taste. Simply, flavors are essential, and those who wish to eradicate vaping know it. That's why they push flavor bans and restrictions across North America. Joining us today to talk about the unintended consequences of flavor bans and restrictions is Dr. Michael Pesco, the J. Rhodes Foster Professor of Economics in the Department of Economics at the University of Missouri. He has published over 70 peer-reviewed papers, including over 20 on e-cigarette policy. He is the director of the Tobacco Online Policy Seminar an international forum for research on tobacco policy, and he's also a member of the Canadian Scientific Advisory Board on Vaping Products. Dr. Pesco, thanks for coming back on the show. Good to be back. It's our pleasure. When we last had you on in November of 2021, it was to talk about the Biden administration's proposed excise tax on safer nicotine products and how it could drive millions of people back to smoking. Tell us, what happened to that tax?
1: Well, it didn't pass. Um, uh, the um, House representatives tried multiple times to include it in um, uh, different iterations of uh, uh, spending packages that that were occurring at the time. Um, one of which became one of which did get passed, um, but the the version that got passed did not include the e-cigarette uh, tax. Um, in general, the Senate was a lot more evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans, and there were a lot of moderates. Um, that uh, did not uh, support the, the e-cigarette tax. And so that helped to, to kill it.
0: Now, the impetus uh, for the tax was the concern over the rapid rise in teen vaping, correct?
1: Well, you never know. I mean, um, I don't know if we can. I mean, I think policymakers, uh, legislators certainly said that. Right. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, e-cigarette taxes, there could be a revenue consideration uh, as well with any kind of taxation, right? Um, and and policymakers might just be trying to find ways to raise revenue, right? Um, but um, but but yeah, in general, um that that was a common um common concern raised by legislators when discussing the possible e-cigarette tax.
0: Now with your work, what do you know in terms of the current status of teen vaping in the US?
1: it it's uh been uh, continuing it's declined from its the the height of it was around 2019 um uh and there were some surveys in the united states that, that found uh i think close to 30% of teens had uh tried an e-cigarette over the past 30 days that's a little bit misleading because very few of these teens were regularly using uh like two and three of that 30% were using uh just you know one or two days over the past 30 days right so regular e-cigarette use was um never uh uh nearly that high um but in general all of these rates have been declining since a uh, 20 uh, 2019 and meanwhile um cigarette use rates which um you know public health officials you know track and um it's a very important outcome considering that combustible tobacco is you know more dangerous than uh vape t- tobacco that has fallen to levels where it's almost unmeasurable now uh, among teens. Um, uh, and so that's a huge uh, public health achievement uh, that we've driven um, teen smoking rates to virtually zero.
0: Take a moment for us, uh, please, to explain to our audience a little bit about your background in working um, in e-cigarette research.
1: I have a PhD in economics, um, uh, and I've been involved with uh, economics research. Um, uh, as. My whole career. There are a lot of economists that are studying natural experiments um, that are caused by policy changes. So the United States is well suited to analyzing these types of natural experiments in Canada as well, uh, given that a lot of tobacco policies done at the state level or done at the provincial level. Um uh, and so um, you know there are models that that are capable then of if a, if a state passes a certain policy um, and we have data both before the policy passes and after the policy passes and we have some states that did not pass the policy um, we can identify what the effect of the the policy change um, is um, so you know tobacco is you know one kind of set of policies that there is a lot of policy variation um obviously it has important uh public health implications um with um. I think you know top line figure um close to half a million Americans die annually from smoking which rivals the um the amount of people that died at the height of covid um, per year um uh and so um so clearly there's a lot of interest and need to know what effect do tobacco policies have in terms of reducing uh tobacco related mortality and other uh types of uh uh, uh, morbidity. That's how I got kind of into it. I guess I mean it seemed like an important area of of research, and and it's well set up for evaluation. Uh, using economics methods, um, and um, and so my work has been funded then by uh, the National Institute of Drug Abuse of the National Institutes of Health. Um, uh, and uh, so you know these these institutes and organizations they they have a need to know what's going on here and um, rely on credible. Uh, Evaluations to tell them.
0: Now, you've done an enormous amount of work, very important work on the impact of e cigarette taxes, including this December of 2022 paper titled The Effects of E Cigarette Taxes on E Cigarette Prices and Tobacco Product Sales. Dr. Pesco, let's dive into the tax issue before we tackle flavors. Do e cigarette taxes drive people back to smoking?
1: Well, um, I suspect yes. Um, I mean, in general, um, uh, you're identifying one very particular mechanism, I think of people being smokers. And then the, um, and then at some point they changed from smoking to e-cigarettes, uh, which a lot of people do. Right. And then the e-cigarette tax was the thing that pushed them back to smoking. Right. Um, so certainly that, uh, is is likely going on right um but um there could be other mechanisms as well right like for example e-cigarette tax might have prevented people that would have otherwise quit smoking from ever trying to quit in the first place right so there could be these counterfactual smokers that at some point they would have reached finally reached for that e-cigarette and given it a shot right but taxes are too high now on that e-cigarette, right? Maybe in some states, e-cigarette taxes are higher than cigarette taxes, right? So especially for those individuals, they wouldn't have uh, an incentive then to, a financial incentive at least to to try to quit with an e-cigarette, right? Um, So that could be going on. And then, um, you know, another mechanism, then obviously thinking about the youth angle, right? Um, And um, I mean, the e-cigarettes tonight, this is what I think is going on, right? We see teen cigarette use rates plummeting and we see e-cigarette use rates you know that that increased, although they're stabilizing now, right? Um, but basically a lot of teens are using e-cigarettes instead of smoking. And I think that that is a, I mean, if e-cigarettes are say a third of the risk of combustible tobacco, that's a huge public health achievement, right? If we can switch people from using a more dangerous form of tobacco to, um, to a less dangerous form, right? Um, and so the e-cigarette taxes, I guess they could be, um, again uh, maybe a lot of these teens are using e-cigarettes because they're less expensive um, and so if we tax them these teens they might just jump right into uh, smoking instead right so all of these things could be going on right uh, as a result of of e-cigarette taxes that basically raise population level cigarette use rates um, and it's difficult to disentangle you know which which populations are being affected but I suspect and there's evidence to support that all, those mechanisms are occurring.
0: Now, in terms of the U.S., um, have quite a few states enacted e-cigarette taxes?
1: Uh, Yeah, my uh, last I looked, there were 30 states that have um, e-cigarette taxes. Um, There's no federal e-cigarette tax currently, as we talked about previously.
0: What are the main drivers? You know, are are e-cigarettes elastic or inelastic? Maybe explain that for our viewers.
1: Yes, there is evidence from the paper that you um, that you cited uh, earlier that uh, e-cigarettes are, are very elastic. Um, so that means that um, as if the the price increases by say ten percent, then we would expect greater than ten percent reductions in e-cigarette sales, right? Um, and actually, we find a twenty-two percent reduction in e-cigarette sales due to a ten percent increase in e-cigarette uh, uh, um, prices in that particular paper. Um, and then and then of course, then there's substitution, economic substitution as well. Then, and we might be interested in knowing well, what effect do the e-cigarette taxes then have on cigarette sales, right? And our um top line uh, number there is that a 10% increase in um e-cigarette uh uh prices leads to a um a 40. 40- percent uh increase in cigarette sales suggesting that they're economic substitutes
0: this always puzzles me so much because tobacco control if there's anything that they know best is the impact of wielding taxes on tobacco combustible tobacco in order to force people out of that product so you know when they put you know e-cigarette taxes on and raise them is it unintended consequence that there's more smoking in substitution or is it intended?
1: There's both an intended and unintended effect. I, right. I mean, if uh, taken at um, assuming that the goal of the the tax is to um, is to reduce e-cigarette sales or use, right, versus other goals like raising revenue. Right. Um, but assuming that that's the intended goal, then um, the e-cigarette tax is working as intended in terms of reducing e-cigarette sales and use, right? Um, but um the unintended effect then is the increase, right, in in uh cigarette uh sales and um and, and use. Um and you know I think that there's uh there's kind of a misperception maybe within the uh tobacco control community that um uh tobacco taxes are always going to drive tobacco taxes are always effective and they're the most effective policy that we have that we have um one of the most effective policy tools that we have to reduce tobacco use but, but that kind of conclusion was based on a marketplace in which we only had cigarettes right and now we have all these reduced risk uh tobacco products and we can't necessarily apply the same um the same logic uh, uh to these um to these other products because it could be causing substitution to the more harmful products
0: dr pesco how would you characterize your professional opinion on e-cigarettes
1: well i think that they're um they're a, re- a reduced risk uh product right that then combustible tobacco um they're not a safe product but they are uh, substantially less risky um the kind of the number that i have uh kind of the number that I have seen in um, when uh, experts were surveyed on this question of, you know, what is the relative risk of e-cigarettes versus cigarettes? And by experts, I mean, people that have published um, before. um, So maybe are a little more knowledgeable about, about these kinds of questions than uh, your general public. Um, And they suggest about 33% of the risks of, of us, cigarettes uh, um, is, is e-cigarettes. So, um, So, you know, I guess on one level, then it's something to be hopeful about, right? If we could have just taken all of the combustible tobacco users, taken away their cigarettes and given them an e-cigarette instead, right? We would be talking about um, uh, 66% reduction in tobacco-related mortality in a year, right? That would be a huge public health achievement, right? Among kids, they, they kind of reacted very quickly to the e-cigarettes and they started making that, that transition early, right? Among adults um, that are a little bit more, you know hardened in their preferences and um, uh, that um, uh, you know, have been smoking for a long time, um, they're a little less likely, I think, to give e-cigarettes to try and maybe they're a, the, um, a little more addicted to uh, cigarettes. Um, and so the e-cigarettes aren't as as effective for them. But um, but in general, um, uh, you know, we we're starting to see adult cigarette use rates declining uh, uh, rapidly um, as well. Um, so that's that's these are all things I think to be really really hopeful about. Um, and then of course, um, I should also mention I think other uh, tobacco products, nicotine products like nicotine pouches, for example, right, um, that are sold in the United States, and these have even less risk than e-cigarettes, um, and so that could represent um, uh, another opportunity as well to reduce tobacco-related disease and death by uh, trying to encourage substitution to an even safer product, which could be nicotine pouches.
0: Everything you're talking about here falls under the principle of tobacco harm reduction. Do you think that is something that's being taken up by public health in the U.S.?
1: Um I don't think so. No. Um I think that uh in general, the uh approach um that I see in the United States and I see worldwide really, um, I mean absent a few countries, um, uh is um I think that it's easier to get political wins on newer products because the the um you know the lobbies are less entrenched. Um uh it's easier uh it's, it's easier for um, yeah public health officials to work with government leaders and honestly to work with the cigarette industry as well um, that doesn't want new products on the marketplace because these are going to cannibalize their existing sales, right? So you get a Baptist and bootleggers t- style alliance, right, um, uh, with uh, public health officials and with uh, the cigarette industry um, going to talk to government officials about, hey, there's this new upshot product here government officials it's relatively easy for them to regulate it because they're so new and they they have entrenched themselves um and um and so so i think that yeah public a lot of public health officials they skip, like they feel good when they can do something um uh, but unfortunately a lot of the things that they're doing are things that are making the uh the situation worse uh, on a population level um there might be some benefit maybe to some some kids, right, that don't use these products, otherwise, right. But that any benefit that that has is small compared to the uh, lost opportunity to help adult smokers um, by providing them with safer uh, tobacco products that are less likely to lead to disease and death.
0: So, if I heard that correctly, you're saying that public health officials in the U.S. the their approach to regulating nicotine vaping products is one that's making at a population level things worse off
1: for people. Yeah, that's that's I I that is my that's my opinion.
0: How do your colleagues uh think of that, the ones that might be a bit critical of your research?
1: Um well, I I you know, I don't think that there's um I think that it's pretty well established that, you know, there's substitution, right, between combustible tobacco and um and e-cigarettes. Um I mean that you know I've done some of that research. Other people have done that research, right? It's a pretty consistent um, uh, pattern of, of 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 results, and honestly, it's not that surprising, right? I mean, if we think about it, um, I mean, if there are ten different you know nicotine products you know on the market, right, and we substantially reduce one of them, right? E-cigarettes in that case, right? You know, there's going to be some people that are going to leave the nicotine marketplace altogether, right? But there's going to be other people that stay in the nicotine marketplace, and they use any of the other nine products that are that are there, right? And that's what economic substitution is. So, I mean, to pretend that somehow we can regulate one of those products, and that's going to take away people from all the other products as well, right? Like that's kind of a fantasy, right? Um, uh, So, in that sense. I don't think it's really that surprising and i don't think people really even consider it that controversial
0: dr pasco how important are flavors to the tobacco harm reduction effort
1: well uh, i don't know if i have um a uh, a lot of precise information on that question Um, um but i do know that uh it does seem like if you restrict flavors from e-cigarettes, you see sharp reductions in their sales, right? And I also know that when you do that, um, you see sharp increases then in cigarette sales, including brands disproportionately used by by youth. So that suggests to me that the marketplace values flavors. Um uh and um and so it's it seems like if if people are using, you know, these sales reductions that we document, if this is including, you know, a lot of adults that are using e-cigarettes that would otherwise be smoking, um, then the the implications are that um, it would be having an adverse public health uh, outcome.
0: Dr. Pesco, in the U.S., we know several states have banned flavors, including California. How prominent is this tactic in the United States?
1: Well, um... At last count, uh, there are 375 uh, localities, seven states in Washington D.C. Uh, that have uh, restricted non-menthol flavored uh, e-cigarette sales.
0: They are quite the fashion right now, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that seems to be. Um, I hear more talk about the flavor restrictions than taxes um, uh, at the moment, for uh, for for better or worse. But um, uh, but um, you know maybe. People are responding to our research on some levels because we have been repeatedly warning about the the taxes um, and the e-cigarette taxes and the adverse uh, consequences. And so maybe some of these public health groups are shifting towards flavor restrictions instead.
0: Now, just last month, a major paper released titled The Unintended Consequences of Vaping Flavor Restrictions, which you co-authored with Abigail Friedman and Alyssa Crippen from the Yale School of Public Health along with Alex Lieber from the Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center at Georgetown University. It's a multidisciplinary study that merges health policy, oncology and economics to study vaping flavor restrictions. Dr. Pesco, I know you just mentioned it, but please dive back into those main findings.
1: Yeah, well, we, we looked to study the effect of the the uh, ends flavor restrictions uh, in those localities that I mentioned uh, 375 localities um seven states Washington DC um we uh, use sales data from 2018 through uh, early 2023 so we have very recent uh, data um uh and um we know the you know the volume of e-cigarette liquids sold in uh, these different um different states Um, We know the uh, number of cigarettes sold in these different states. Um, And so we set up our traditional kind of difference in difference style uh, uh, regression model um, uh, and find that, um, yeah, the e-cigarette flavor restrictions led to sharp reductions in e-cigarette sales. um, And they also increased cigarette sales, um, including for brands disproportionately used by youth.
0: Now, that's the shocking thing, isn't it? Or or am I... Or am i mis- missing something there flavor bands increase smoking
1: uh yeah and so it, they operate it's very similar in findings to you know e-cigarette taxes right i mean i think that you know there's and before i did e-cigarette tax work i did a lot of work on minimum legal sales age laws, and we found the same thing there right i mean whenever um uh you know and maybe not really surprising to kind of go back to my last analogy um, about the 10 different nicotine products, right, and you regulate one and there's going to be some people leave the nicotine market, other people substitute to the remaining nine available, right? I mean, whether it's a minimum legal sales age law, whether it's a tax, whether it's a flavor restriction, I mean, whenever you restrict um, uh, access, right, or kind of um, appeal uh, of, of uh, one nicotine product, Um, there's going to be some people leaving the nicotine marketplace and other people shifting to other tobacco products. Right. And unfortunately the other e-cigarettes is one of the safer ones. Right. So then when people shift, it's causing increases in more harmful ones. Right. So if we want to take it, we should be taking advantage of this. We should be doing, being more aggressive with the, the more dangerous products. Right. And then causing some shift to the safer products. Right. Um, But the danger of kind of a aggressive kind of focus on e-cigarettes and other kind of novel, low risk, uh, tobacco products uh, recently, right. Is the consequences of that are, you know, a lot of people not changing from the cigarette to the safer product than they otherwise would do so. Um, uh, or, um, yeah, kids using combustibles rather than the safer product that would otherwise be available
0: now. And that's obviously what's concerning to everybody. Uh, but the fact is, is that these flavor bands are coming into the marketplace, in order to protect teens. At least that's ostensibly what the promise is. And so we know that Abigail Friedman, your colleague, had done some of the early research on flavor bans. And I think in California, uh, where was shockingly shown. Yeah, San Francisco. That showed that these flavor bans, uh, you know, lead to an increase in teen smoking. W- what is the disconnect here with public health?
1: I was just talking to a physician about this, actually. And with the disconnect, I mean, what, you know, so I walked through all of these, you know, I, I shared the new study with her. I, I talked about um, uh, talked about some other stuff we have in the work that finds similar, you know, findings. Um, and her response is like, well, yeah, but kids, they use flavored, like we know that kids use flavored products, right? And so she's thinking that if we restrict flavors from e-cigarettes, kids won't use. Uh, e-cigarettes right um i you know that might be true on some level right but a lot of kids they'll just substitute to you know legally available flavors you know menthol or um uh, unflavored uh, uh uh e-cigarettes right um so it's not like every teen using a flavored product you're going to get them to leave the e-cigarette marketplace right um and then further i mean the teens that i guess do leave the e-cigarette marketplace right some of them are going to go on, they're going to smoke instead right and so that's not good right um, uh, and so, I don't know, I think it's it's kind of easy to, it's, easy, it's probably easy for public health groups when they talk to legislators, right, to just say, hey, uh, 80% of teens that use e-cigarettes, they use flavors, right? And, um, you know, I don't know if people are thinking that very, very hard about, you know, counterfactuals and, you know, what would happen if we took the flavors away? Is that is that, you know, like, are we talking about causal relationships here, we are talking about correlation relationships, that kind of
0: thing. So in the paper, uh, here's a quote, the data reveals a concerning trend for every decrease in the sale of a 0.7 ml ends product, which is, you know, e cigarette cartridge, due to flavor restrictions, there's an increase in the sale of 15 traditional cigarettes. So what does that mean? And can you extrapolate that into some wider number? If we know that there was a flavor ban in california for the last x number of years you know what's could we could we actually say how many guesstimate how many extra cigarettes were sold as a, as a result
1: so that's that number is it's like it's based on the national you know population right so i guess like if we wanted to extrapolate if we wanted to um extrapolate it down to like a specific you know city or state right um i guess um, usually we go the other way around, right? Usually we take estimates from like cities or states and we extrapolate up to the national level. In this case, we're trying to extrapolate down. Um, but um, uh, I mean, if, if it's, if the populations are generalizable, um, I think you can, right? Um, and I think you'd need to know then something about like how, uh, what was the reduction then in, um, in e-cigarette sales, right? Because it's, you know yeah there's going to be sharp reductions in flavors right but then there's going to be there's increases then in unflavored e-cigarette sales and in mentholated e-cigarette sales as well right so what is the net effect you know on on e-cigarette um sales but then in yeah in theory then if you know a net effect and uh, what the net reduction is um then you can multiply you know that uh how, that 0.7 fluid milliliter uh uh quantity by 15 cigarettes to uh See what the um anticipated effect is on cigarette sales.
0: It can't be very good, <laughs> or or good if you're in the business of selling combustible cigarettes.
1: Of course, of course. Um, and I mean, I think that's why you know that's why I was referring to the uh, Baptists and bootleggers, you know, alliance before, right? I mean, I think the traditional cigarette industry, um, you know, in different places of the world, I think they're they're more um. Uh, they can get away with more of this kind of stuff, right? Um, uh, I think in the United States, as far as I'm, you know, I think they're pretty quiet, you know, and I think that they just kind of know, like a lot of these public health groups in many ways, just kind of go do our bidding for us, right? So why even weigh in, right? When when you have public health groups that, you know, are willing to, you know, att- attack your competitors, right? I mean, what a, what a dream uh, situation, right? Um, uh in other parts of the the world I think they're a little more aggressive in terms of trying to network with you know different groups to um uh, to to get regulations to make it you know a lot of in a lot of countries of the world these cigarettes are banned right um I know that there's a lot of aggressive efforts including in the European Union currently to get nicotine pouches banned right I mean these are nicotine pouches have about the same level of risk as nicotine gum right um uh and so you know why is there? Like, why are we focused on that? Meanwhile, cigarettes continue to be sold, right? Um, uh, And are available basically anywhere, right? Um, But there's just not, you know, political will and there's not the, you know, the lobbying apparatus to go after the cigarette industry. And instead, it's you know a lot easier for these interests to focus on things that they can affect, um, even if there's adverse public health outcomes as a result
0: in this flavor research you and your colleagues did you looked at all age groups right so it's not just teens but adults too as well
1: um it's so it's sales data right so uh, anybody purchasing and we don't know um we don't know you know who's doing the purchasing right um but we do explore heterogeneity a little bit um by the uh, based on the fact that we can use survey data and we know that some brands are disproportionately used by young you know, young adults, uh, teenagers, other brands are disproportionately used by older adults, right? Um, So there's some heterogeneity along those dimensions, right? And so then in the sales data, you know, we have breakdowns by brand, right? And so then we can see, you know, when these flavor restrictions come into place, you know, what effect is there on this brand that is used by older adults? What effect is there on this brand that's used by younger people, right? Um, We find increases across all of the, the different age uh the the different brands preferred by different uh groups based on age
0: were illicit products such as uh disposables um factored into the study
1: yeah disposables are are included um uh uh, any any uh tobacco product that's sold in um you know one of the stores that's that's tracked by uh, our data um we do miss um we don't have vape shops in our in our data so that that's a limitation that's a limitation of a lot of the sales you know base data sources and that um we're basically studying you know what effect is there in convenience stores right um uh, or gas stations that that kind of thing um uh it's really hard to you know figure out where do we get information on what's going on in vape shops right um but that but that would you know that's an area of of research interest of mine that that I'm hoping to find a way to um, identify beef shop uh, sales in the future and and look at these in future research projects.
0: Let me ask you, Dr. Pesco, has there been any acknowledgement from regulators, FDA Center for Tobacco Products, for instance, or any state public health authority? Has there been any response to the findings from this paper?
1: Um, very uh, I haven't heard anything um uh we um yeah, uh, haven't haven't heard anything. I mean we we try to publicize you know these uh uh these studies you know in in media in general they're not interested. Um, uh so um I I haven't heard yeah, I haven't heard anything.
0: So the media that covers endlessly. Uh, teens uh, vaping and the rise in teen vaping won't right. cover this kind of news.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's just not. It's, you know, the, there's very little um, interest in tobacco harm reduction. Um, uh, unfortunately, I've I've learned. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, it's just easier for people to just kind of focus on, you know, we don't like new tobacco products. We don't like the idea of kids using tobacco and not really think that hard about it. So is it
0: fair to characterize the results of this flavor study as shocking
1: uh you know I, I to me it doesn't seem surprising you know just going back to you know what what i've been saying i mean it's like you know of course if you you know you have 10 different products um in the nicotine marketplace you regulate one of them right there's going to be people leaving that marketplace there's going to be people substituting to the other nine right um but i think that um I think what's probably is probably shocking to your typical uh uh American, right? Um, in the sense that, you know, they've been told that, hey, this is uh um this is an unambiguously good thing, you know, restricting flavors from e-cigarettes. What can go wrong, right? Um and then to learn that there are, you know, like I mean any you know, any policy there's gonna be both intended and unintended effects. And in this case, you know, the unintended effect um arguably Uh, is worse than any benefit of the policy right Uh, and so maybe that is would be shocking to um to to americans that there are policies that are passed that there are is research to suggest these are not going to be good for public health they get passed anyways right um so i think it's not the finding that's shocking i think it's just more the environment that we're in that's shocking